Charles Simeon was an English preacher. He lived in the 17 and 1800s. And I, for one, would not have wanted his job. He was the preacher at a, at a very divided church. See, when he first became the pastor of this church, most of the people in the church didn't want him there. But they didn't just move on to a different church. That wasn't the done thing. Instead, they made life really tough for him and for anyone who liked him being there. They disrupted his preaching numerous times. In fact, sometimes they'd even set up a second lectern at at the other end of the church and they'd get someone else to be preaching in the other lectern. So half the church is facing one way, listening to one guy. The other half is facing the other way, listening to the other guy. And you can just imagine, can't you? It's total chaos. Back in the day, you used to be able to own your own seat in the church. Literally, you could buy it, and it was yours. You got to sit there every week, and no one else could. In fact, you could lock your row of seats so that no one else could sit in them. And you know, that's what some people did with Charles Simeon. They didn't want to listen to him preach, so they didn't come. But they also didn't want other people to come and listen to him preach. So they locked up their pews. So there was nowhere to sit for anyone who did want to come and listen. They had to stand up in the aisles instead. He even tried at one point to start an an evening church service. But then the people that didn't like him, they went around and they locked all the doors in the church so that no one could get in. This wasn't just a passing phase either. This kind of thing went on for more than 10 years. That's one church I would not want to be part of. I mean, can, can you imagine walking into that kind of church today? You're a new person, you walk in. Very quickly, I think you'd make the decision, oh, I'm never coming here again. Contrast that to my mate Jim's experience of church. I mean, church wasn't really a thing for Jim. He didn't have any Christians in his family. Uh, but through a friend, you got to know a friend who was a Christian, and, and Jim heard about Jesus through him. And, and after a while, Jim decided he wanted to be a follower of Jesus. And so uh, Jim thought, oh, I'm gonna, I believe in Jesus now. I'm going to go to church. And so he went to church with his friend. This was an entirely different and new experience for Jim. What would it be like? How long would it go for? What, would, what do they do there? Would he even like it? I didn't know Jim at the time, but he's since told me about it. One of the things that struck Jim was the way that people looked out for him. People who didn't know him would come up and say hello. And, and it's not just they said hello and then moved on. They stopped. They had a chat with him. They, stopped. they had real conversations with Jim. They helped him meet other people there that he didn't know either. And then afterwards, in those first couple of weeks, people invited Jim to do stuff as well. Not just to do other church things, not to come to their Bible study, or, but, but to hang out socially as well. And after a few weeks, Jim had found himself a church home. That's not to say that there weren't any speed bumps along the way. Not to say that everything was relationally perfect. In those first couple of years that Jim was at the church, a number of times, 
he told me that he got blown away by it. Blown away by it, by how well people in that church treated him. Isn't that the kind of church you want to walk into? Isn't that the kind of church you want to be part of? Because the way we do life together, it matters. I think intrinsically we just we know that it matters, but you know the Bible tells us that it matters as well. In fact, the Bible has a lot to say on this. And that's what we're going to spend the next six weeks looking at. What kind of church will we be? What kind of church does God want us to be? How does God want us to treat one another? What's going to be the flavour of our life together? So we're doing this series called One Another. We're going to look at all sorts of things. Some of these things will cross over into the way that we treat other people outside the church as well. But this particular series, we're going to be thinking about how we treat one another in church. What kind of relationships should we be having in church right here at TNE? And we're going to delve into some really nitty-gritty stuff, some really practical things. Some of the weeks coming up, this, this is what we're looking at. Accepting one another, bearing with one another, serving one another, spurring one another on, forgiving one another. But today we start with the one thing that joins them all together, the big element, the foundation stone. Without this, the rest won't happen at all. Today we start with love one another. So why don't we pray? And ask for God's help as we come to his word. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you so much that you've brought us together here as a church. We thank you so much that you have a great love for us as you do this. And we thank you that you want us to show that love to one another. We just wanted to pray the next little bit of time as we spend looking at your word, that you teach, rebuke, correct and train us so that we might be ready to live those lives that love one another here at TNE. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we just read out a, a part of the Bible uh, from John chapter 15. And I'm just going to read a little bit of it again. And I want to ask a question. Think about this as I read. I'm just going to read one sentence. But does this sentence sound weird to you? Like something's not quite right? Here it is. Here's the sentence. Jesus says, This is my command. Love each other. To me, that just sounds a bit odd. Because you don't command love, do you? Isn't it that love just happens? Either it's there or, or it's not. Are we really commanded to love one another? Doesn't that feel a bit weird to you? So that's our that's our first point today, or, or really that's our first question. Are we really commanded to love? Well, for God, this is nothing new. God has always wanted his people to love each other. So that's what he told his, pe- his, his people in the Old Testament. That's what Israel were told. In Leviticus 19, uh, 
God told the, the Israelites, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. See, in the Old Testament, God told his people to love each other. And that's what God tells his, his, his people in the New Testament too. That's what God tells Christians. That's what God tells the church. So in John 13, Jesus says this, a new command I give to you, love one another. Love is, it's a central part of who we are. In fact, it's so central that love is to be the only thing that we owe anyone. So later in the New Testament, uh, in in the book of Romans, in chapter 13, we're told to owe nothing to anyone. So it says if you owe taxes or money to someone, make sure you pay it. If you owe someone honour or respect, make sure they get it. But then in verse 8, there's something that we're to continually owe one another. And that is the debt of love. Verse 8 says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Maybe it does feel a bit odd when I'm commanded to love. But the point is this. If you're a Christian, love is not optional. Love's not that optional extra that you can tack on if you choose. Love for one another must be part of who we are. It's a necessary component of the Christian life. A church full of people who don't love one another, it's just missing something. It's It's like Superman without his cape. It's like summertime without the heat. It's, it's like Warwick Kappa without the tight shorts, you know. It's just missing something. So if I'm a Christian, Jesus commands me to love the others who are in my church. Which means I can't pretend then that love is not my thing. I can't think of other Christians as, you know, that group there, they're the Christians who love people. But me, I'm, I'm kind of different. I, I'm the Christian who, well, I say the hard truths. I say the hard things that need to be said. Or... Or I'm the person in church who who rebukes people when they need it. Somebody else around here, those other people, they do the loving. But that can't ever be the way that we think. The Christian who loves is, well, it's all of us. It might be that that I do need to say the hard truth. But I never do it out of impatience. I never do it out of frustration. I always do it out of love. And it may be that that someone does need to be rebuked. But again, if I'm the person to rebuke them, my rebuke must come from a deep place of love, a deep concern for the other person. Because God commands his people to love, to love one another. That's the constant tune that must resound throughout the church. Love is for all of us. But why? Why is love so important? Why is it the central thing in the Christian community? Well, the Bible tells us why. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 11, this is what it says. Dear friends, since God so loved us, 
we also ought to love one another. You see there, it's God's love. God's love is the reason that we love each other. It's because God so loved us that we're called to love one another. And that's the second point for today. God's love is the reason for our love. So we're just going to spend a bit of time in 1 John chapter 4. This is how um, John, in this letter, this is how he starts the section. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 7. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, he says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Then just a couple of verses later, in verse 9, John shows us what God's love is like. This is 1 John 4, verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world, that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. In these verses, we see the rich extent of God's love for us. It's costly. It's, it's, it's sacrificial. It's a love that, that doesn't withhold anything. God sends his one and only son into the world. He does it so that we can live. He does it so that Jesus can be the atoning sacrifice for our sin, which means that he, he's the one who dies, but in his death we can be brought back to God again. We can be at one with God again. Friends, see how God so loves us. See, if you're here today and God's never really been your kind of thing, today I I hope you see how great God's love for you is. He gives up everything for you. Isn't that someone you can trust? Isn't that a God that's worth following? And if you're here today and you have put your trust in God already, oh look, this is a great passage for, for us to hear again because we, we hear here what, what God does for you. Hear how costly God's love for you really is. Aren't you glad that you decided to trust him? Back to 1 John chapter 4. In the very next verse, in, in verse 11, John continues. Since, uh, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. God's love is the reason for our love. I don't really have any party tricks I can do. I can't juggle. I'm not double-jointed, so I can't get my limbs bending the wrong ways. But there is one thing that I can do. Are you ready for it? Here I go. Did you catch it? Did you see it? Probably maybe the people in the front few rows did. I'll try it again. Ready? Did you see it that time? I can raise one eyebrow. Very impressive, I know. Yes. But there's a reason I can I can raise one eyebrow. See, I wasn't born this way. I I had to learn it, and I had to learn it 
because the coolest person in the world could do it. The Rock. See, I, I grew up watching wrestling as a kid, and I saw The Rock, and he was totally cool, and he did this thing with his one eyebrow, and I thought, that's I need to copy that. And so every night I'd be brushing my teeth, and after I brushed my teeth, I just spent a couple of moments trying to uh, raise one eyebrow. And it started off with me bending my head to one side more than anything. But after you know a few months or so, I learned how to do it. I can raise one eyebrow. Because that's what you do, isn't it? When you see something that's so good, you copy it. You want to do it too. Friends, have you seen God's love for you? Have you experienced God's love in your life? If you have, isn't that the love you want to show others as well? That's the reason we love one another. We love one another because God loved us. So what does that actually look like? What does it look like for us then to love one another? And not just to love one another, but love one another like God loves us. For the next few moments, that's what I want to talk about. And to do this, I'm going to use a few statements that go like this. Not this, but that. That's what we're going to do. Not this, but that. Okay, here's the first one. Loving one another is not soft and sentimental, but it is rooted in truth. Sometimes it can feel like the way to love other people is to be nice, to be happy and polite. The kind of thing where love doesn't really want to disagree, it kind of prefers to, to hide disagreements or, or at least avoid those topics that lead to arguments. Because arguing is not nice and love wants to be nice, it wants to be polite, it's, it's soft, it's the thing that makes me feel so happy. But that's not really love, is it? At least, that's not what the Bible means by love. Sometimes love will feel nice, but that's not always the case. Because love will say the hard things that need to be said. And love will do it out of a deep concern for the other person. Love won't hide from disagreement. It won't constantly drag out disagreements just for the sake of it, but, but it doesn't shy away from them either. Love will speak into disagreements with patience. And love will listen. And love will never despise the other person just because we disagree. But love is deeply rooted in truth. Because in the end, it's never really loving to ignore the truth. So loving one another is not soft and sentimental, but it's deeply rooted in truth. And secondly, loving one another is not easy and free-flowing, but it is costly and sacrificial. It's often easy to think that love is just free-flowing. You know, because I love my church so much, my love will just naturally well up and it will overflow into all sorts of things. I'll find myself helping with pack-up. 
I'll find myself having deep conversations. I'll find myself looking out for those in need, all because I just love you, and it just wells up. Love is, is free-flowing. It's easy because it's just a natural expression of how I feel. And that sounds nice, and, and there is something I like about that. But it's not the full story, is it? It's not even the normal story. Sure, my love will well up, and there will be times that my, my love will just naturally overflow into action. But the Bible calls us to be devoted in love to, towards one another. If we're going to be devoted in love towards each other, that means we're going to do it when we feel like it, and when we don't feel like it. The reality is that love will be costly and sacrificial. Sometimes it can be easy to be to, to think through in the big decisions what is costly and sacrificial, what is loving for me to do here. Because they're big decisions. I spend so much time thinking about them. Uh, I, get, I, I ask people about what they think I should do. And people remind me to be sacrificial in the way I love. And so sometimes in the big decisions... It can be easy to love people. It can be easy to count the cost to myself. But so often in the day-to-day, -day, I find that I can just forget that love is costly. That, that, that all those little decisions in my life, I, I, I make them, but I make them at no cost to myself. I make no sacrifice. But really costly love means I make all those little decisions thinking how can I love in a way that's costly even to myself. So love gives up time for others even though I'm time poor. Love spends its energy on others even though I know I'll be exhausted by the end of it. Love does little things even though no one's ever going to see them, even though no one's going to thank me for them, out of love, I'll still do them. Because loving one another isn't easy and free-flowing. It's costly and it's sacrificial. Thirdly, loving one another isn't a part of my life, but it's there in the whole of my life. You see, so much of my daily life can be compartmentalised. Now's my time for work. Now's my time for family. Now's my time for rest. Now's my time for community group. Now's my time for serving at church, and, and so on and so on and so on. But love can, can, can never be compartmentalised like that. Love, it's the constant tune that rings through our lives. So let's take community groups for an example. My community group is a place where I express my love. We meet on a Tuesday night between 7 and 9.30. But love for my community group doesn't end when I leave each Tuesday night. If I really want to love my community group, that's actually going to impact how I do the rest of my week. So throughout the week, I'll find myself praying for other members in my group. I'll call up the person who shared that life has been hard for them recently. I'll arrange to have a coffee with a new member. Even as we break over the holidays, I'll still be finding ways to, to be in touch with my group, 
to care for them in their Christian walk. Because loving one another, it isn't part of my life. It shapes how I do all of my life. And look, as I try to leave, live out this kind of love, I'm going to fail. I'll have moments where I, where I think I'm doing okay, but there'll be plenty of times where I just mess it up completely. But praise God that there's forgiveness in Jesus. I wanted to end today by telling some brief stories. So I knew that I was going to be preaching on loving one another this week. And so throughout the week, just a handful of people I met, I asked them to tell me stories. Stories about how they have seen people loving one another at TNE this year. I'm not going to mention any names uh, and embarrass people here, but, but here's just a small selection of those stories. Here we go. Someone I asked mentioned their community group leaders. They said these leaders go out of their way to care for their group. That there's been people in their group who've had some really hard things this year, but through all of it, their community group leaders have cared for them, found ways to go the extra mile and love them. Another person pointed to the meal roster that happens. Uh, Some things happen in life. Uh, People have babies, there's a major upheaval. And uh, Susie Castellan here at church runs a meal roster. She just sets it up and uh, an email goes out and people can sign up. And every time a meal roster has gone out this year, people have signed up. Which means those those in our church who've had uh, a difficult or life-changing event There's just one thing they haven't had to think about. Someone's just rocked up and given them a meal the night. Someone mentioned to me a time when they got ill. They couldn't fulfill their normal ministry. And so the leader of the ministry gave her time off to recover. And others just stepped in so that the ministry could keep going. Someone I asked mentioned a particular person here. This bloke goes out of his way to get to know people who aren't necessarily like him to mix with them so that he can be encouraged by them and so that he can encourage them in the Christian life. A few times this year, uh, the call has gone out at t to raise support for submission things. See, it was people at t who gave so that Emma Winterlick could go on her mission trip to Fiji. It was t who gave to the Port Vincent Beach Mission team And now they have a tent to run their youth programs in. There's people at our church who volunteer to do that dull, boring admin work that just needs to get done. There's people who've put together supper rosters for their community groups just to make sure that the group can bond together. I know I've spoken to someone who's had had to have that tough kind of conversation this year. And he had to do it out of love. And then he was so encouraged because the person he was talking to didn't get defensive. But this actually led to repentance. A story of a couple who relatively new at teeny, and yet they opened up their house for others early on. The number of people that joined the prayer chain this year has been fantastic. These are people who 
during the day, they might get a text message about something to pray for. And so they stop. They actually stop what they're doing to pray for someone, to pray for a situation in them or within their family. And it's just amazing. It's an act of love. There's a community group that gave money to a member who was in need. There's another community group that gave uh, one of their members money so the children could be part of a camp. There's people who've stepped in to help others reconcile a friendship after a falling out. There's people who give lifts to others just so they can be involved in things. There's, There's even people who cleaned a house before the new pastor arrived in this city. And I don't even have any idea who it is. And look, I could go on and on and on with this. We're not a perfect church. We do get stuff wrong. And there are times when we don't love one another. We're a work in progress. But friends, I want you to be encouraged by these stories. I want you to be encouraged because it shows there's all sorts of ways that we can love one another. And I want you to be encouraged because TNE is a church where you are loving one another. So let's keep being that kind of church. And if we're going to be, keep being that kind of church, well, we need God's help. So let's ask for God's help now. Why don't we pray? Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you're the God who loves that you've loved us deeply at a great cost to yourself. Thank you that you did not spare your own son, but gave him up so that we might have life, so that we might be able to be brought back at one with you. Father, please help us to have that same kind of love for one another. We pray our church would be full of that kind of love. And we pray that others would look on and see it and give praise to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.